Hello and welcome to Spirited Conversation. My name is Pastel Sparkles. And it is me, Lemon. And today we're talking about the legend of Korra. But wait a minute, didn't you guys just do an episode on all of Avatar? Yeah, bitches, we binge this shit. Yeah. <laughs> and this show is bigger than Avatar, like, lengthwise, so... Is it? Yeah, this is a whole extra season. Oh, true, true. Yeah. So we really smashed this out and... I'm honestly very excited to talk about it because I have a lot of feelings and I mean some of those feelings are explained away in some of the facts that I am going to be bringing to you but overall we we have a lot of feelings and we're gonna voice them and hopefully you guys enjoy them. (laughs) I think it goes without saying that much like our Avatar podcast this is going to also have spoilers for Legend of Korra so if you don't want things spoiled Come back to this once you've watched the whole show. It's very easy to watch through, and we'll see you then. Yeah. Go listen to our other episodes Yeah, while, while you're waiting. But for <laughs> this podcast, we have our most special cocktail yet. So this weirdo guy called It's Me Lemon decided to try and invent a cocktail. I'm so this, excited this about episode. it. I've been wanting to do it, and I, for some reason, I just never really felt comfortable enough to... What, Cora really brought something out in you? Yeah, we, we pretty much. I think, <laughs> you know, the metachlorines were... <laughs> oh, yeah? Just off the... Just, wow. wow. Uh, no, so I, we were thinking of a cocktail, and I'll be honest, I didn't put too much thought or research into looking for a cocktail that would fit Cora. I just went... Uh, imagine if I like did a cocktail that looked like harmonic convergence. Yeah, so like the whole time that we were talking about what we were going to drink for this podcast, we were thinking about what we could do and I, I don't think... Well, we haven't really done extensive research, but there's not any drink really that's associated with Cora. But the thing that really is a big topic in Cora is spirits and the harmonic convergence is a massive part of the show and we really wanted to do something about the spirits yeah you were against the idea of me just putting one shot of every spirit that we have on our bar yes (laughs) um and okay fair (laughs) so i made a different one so this one i am calling harmonic convergence yeah and with this one it was a layered drink so the first one of the layers is a half a shot of grenadine we've got half a shot of lemon juice and we've got a shot of gin as mm-hmm. well, gin being the base. And for the other layer, again, another shot of gin. We're having a great night. <laughs> it's got half a shot of blue curacao and half a shot of simple syrup. Yeah. Uh, so we layered them and then poured lemonade over the top. So topped it up with lemonade. And this definitely goes better in a tall, thin glassware. So yeah. if you've got like a Collins glass or something like that. Because otherwise, when the colours sort of mishmash and they become like a purple, I've got it in a like an old-fashioned glass and it just looks black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like a cup of Ribena. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you want to give Harmonic Convergence a taste? Oh, sure. I don't know about you, but I think it tastes incredible. That's actually really nice. I think that might be my favourite drink we've ever tried. What the hell? And I'm not even, like, trying to be nice because you made it. Like, I genuinely think 
It is so easy to drink and very nice. The, I... It, I, I'm, I can't get over how easy it is. Yeah, it it's almost just, doesn't taste like alcohol. I, I can't taste alcohol. Yeah. I was worried it was going to be too strong. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> You're buckling, fam. We making more drinks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... Where did you want to get started? Do you want to get started with explaining the seasons like we did for our Avatar episode? Yeah, that sounds great. Let's start from the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Alright, so season one was titled Air. So in Korra, unlike Avatar, we're not going through the the elements that Aang is learning. In this, Korra already knows almost every element except for Air. So the first season is about her acquiring the Air element, which is the hardest for her to learn for some reason. In this show, unlike Avatar, they explained it as it is the element that you personally have the hardest time identifying with. So she's very hot-headed and very abrasive and stubborn, which is the complete opposite of the personality type that is usually associated with air. And that's the reason why she struggles with it, despite fire being the natural opposite of water, which is her original element. Which I just want to quickly say, throughout all of Korra, she throws more fire than anything else. Yeah, fire is Korra's, like, number one element type used. I, uh, used. I think it's, it's definitely because of her personality that they chose mm. to do that, and I like that. I like that from a narrative point of view that that's what she would have picked. I also like it because it makes sense in the way of fire being something that can easily be pulled. Like, if without there being water around, it's very hard for a waterbender to bend something to fight. Whereas mm. there's always air, there's always fire, you will always be able to have something there. Even earth. I feel like water is really the one that has the, the biggest issue. <laughs> yeah. Personally. Yeah, I do, I do see that. Unless, you know, you rip the water out of someone, but... Yeah, or plants and things like that that they did yeah. in, in Avatar. Anyway, sorry, we're jumping ahead again. No, that's fine. <laughs> Korra is the youngest Avatar to have had... to have known that they were an Avatar. So I think we start the show when she's about three or four years old and she's already bending earth and fire in the water nomads... Yeah, so she was in the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah, yeah. Which is wild, because all of them are, you know, early teens when they discover that they're the Avatar, or they're told when they're about that age, like early teens or maybe mid-teens that they're told. Yeah, wasn't, I think... wasn't it 16 and they told Aang early because they were like, hey, we war. should tell you early because uh, shit's hitting the fan. Yeah, because Sozin was about to start the all-out war on yeah. every other nation yeah so it is weird that they kind of abandoned all of that because yeah it wasn't roku roku was like 16 or so right yeah. when he was told yeah, i don't remember yeah. kiyoshi i haven't read the books for her they're um, still very young yeah so very young and very young to have started her training and stuff like that but she is pulled from the southern water tribe when she is an early teen to start learning properly the other elements and we meet her again at about 1617 to learn air from Tenzin who is the son of Aang. So in this universe it is 70 years 
also after Avatar. So we are seeing adult children of Aang and Katara. We're hearing about, you know, the children of Toph and Zuko and things like that, which yeah. is very exciting and cute. Sadly, two members of Team Avatar are no longer with us at this point in the story, at least. So Sokka and Aang have both passed away since we left them. It's never explained why Sokka or how Sokka passed away. Yeah, well, I just assume old age, but he's only... He was only like two years older than... Yeah, so he probably would have been about 70 when he passed away. Because Aang was yeah. 66. and Still a wee bad. Yeah. So, I mean, he would have been like 72, 74 by the time Korra starts. So, yeah, that's interesting. Aang and Katara had three kids, Kaya, Bumi, and Tenzin. Mm-hmm. And um, Kaya has waterbending and Boomy at the stage we meet him has no bending yeah which is very cute that they kind of had a bit of everything there for yeah. those kids I, I i loved that he was named Boomy. me too i just think that is adorable and he is just as crazy yeah well, not, no okay not just as great you can't be quite as crazy as Boomy, but you know he's the real out there one going on you know it, it's definitely like overcompensating for his lack of bending it's like kind of like soccer where he feels like he has to prove himself yeah um because he i don't know i guess it shows he feels a bit inadequate because he doesn't have the powers but he is just as useful and resourceful if yeah. more than some of the other characters sometimes but anyway yeah Although, one thing I do love, again, about the kids... Yeah. Tenzin, mm. voiced by J.K. Simmons. Mm. Yeah, in this show... So good. There are so many very famous voice actors in this. I don't remember exactly how many from Avatar there were, but it feels like, at least, looking at the cast list, there was far less Asian actors in this show, but there was a ton more famous actors or now famous like it, famous because of Cora. for example the new sabrina netflix sabrina is janora the uh, daughter of tenzin so there's a lot of really cool actors that are part of this show which is very exciting hearing them be voice actors it's kind of like when you hear katara's voice and then you realize it's what's her name from Scott Pilgrim and Perks of Being a Wallflower. I can't think of a name. It's the I'm by Furious. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's Katara. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of interesting going back and hearing like their early acting stuff and then going and seeing what they're, you know, really famous in now. There's so many really good ones. My favorite character who we'll get to later. I, I he's exactly like his voice actor. Yes, I know who you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, but it was very interesting, I suppose, because the whole beginning, like, of the first, practically a lot of the first season, is Korra just being a bit rebellious, like that rebellious teen, like, angsty and stuff. Yeah. And she just never bloody learns. Yeah, Korra, her failing as a character, but it makes sense, like, like it's hard to watch but it makes sense for character is that she is very stubborn she's very much a teenager and i like that they did it because it's like a bit realistic but it is hard to watch like as a viewer cora is not very enjoyable as a main character you know like i want her to do well and i i you know really empathize with her struggles in the beginning and stuff but i'm kind of like babe 
just listen to people and you can fucking do your job. <laughs> you know, like Aang never had to go through this. <laughs> Aang was just like, oh man, I don't want to believe that my people are dead, but I'm going to keep going because I can't mope around. And like, he's got a, you know, a mission and she's just like, well, I'm just going to mope and complain because yeah. I'm a little bitch. Cora! <laughs> right. It's uh, Also, I had to look it up just for both of our sakes. Uh, May Whitman. That's it. Was Katara. Yeah. In, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's interesting because she never really. I don't. There's so many times you're like, okay, we've been through this. Like you remember from last time, Cora. Come on, you got this. She's like, I'm gonna make the same mistake again. Yeah. Like, the, what? You, uh, excuse me. <laughs> the visual representation of that is when they're at the Air Temple in Republic City, which we'll come to. We have to explain what the fuck Republic City is. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> on Air Temple Island, there's an exercise that Tenzin gets her to do, which is going through these, like, looks like like tatami kind of boards. And they spin around, and she's meant to maneuver through them because the way that airbenders fight is in circles. And we were told that in Avatar, which mimics the fighting style that it mimics in real life. And she just runs through. I'm like, babe, you watched it. You also watched Tenzin's kids run through, and then you decided fuck what they're doing i'm gonna go my own way you cannot be gabriella montez here we cannot have a high school musical moment cora you must just follow the rules well she's gonna something about a shot can't can't stop till you get that shot how's the song go does it <laughs> so i've never i've never seen <laughs> That's, you know that famous high school musical Are you song. Trying to say, get your head in the game. Is that the song sure. you're referring to? The <laughs> basketball know. song. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I sung. You know, uh -huh. get your head in that game. Gonna get it. Anyway. Um, gonna shoot my shot. <laughs> that one. Yeah, that's it. That's. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. Anyway, so Republic City. Hey, what's up? When things blew up everywhere and you know fire lord ozai was like hey i'm gonna burn literally the entire world and ang was like nah don't do that lol got your fam got your powers haha <laughs> got your nose and then he was well, zuko ended up becoming fire lord yeah and from that they sort of reunited all of the lands and people started working together again and not wanting to you know perform mass genocide and stuff so part of the thing that they formed was a place called Republic City. Yeah, where which... everyone from any tribe, empire, whatever, could come together, live together, work together, together. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really interesting because it's things like that that bring us to our next peoples, uh -huh. which is Bolin and uh, Marco. Mm -hmm. And... They are brothers, but one is a firebender and one's an earthbender. Yeah, which is really interesting, especially after Avatar where, you know, siblings are of the same bending style more often than not. Yeah. And then to come to that where styles are kind of gotten rid of and you just use the power, which I don't know if it's lazy in terms of like tradition style or if it's just a sign of being modern or more modern because this is set in kind of the 30s like that's the kind of vibe we're feeling from the show now yeah it's it definitely took a very large jump into like a modern thing like they've invented cars and yeah 
and like we're in Such like a the mechanical age, yeah. like the industrial age. So it's it's so different, but I quite like it once you get over yeah. the difference. It's like a culture shock. I think it takes nearly that whole first season to get used to it. Yes, it did. I don't know when it was that I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I get used to the fact that there's, you know, old school cars driving around and, and all the style. The radio. And, yeah, radios and stuff. I don't, but well, all well, of a sudden <laughs> I got used to it. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting, but I like it because it shows that rather than everything being segmented, and separated like you know all firebenders over there mm. all earth is just a mashing of cultures yeah and i think that's really cool yeah but you know as with big city comes big crime and like you know there's all gangs and yeah and so it's very heavy and... on that 30s kind of you know mafias and and mobs and then yeah cults and stuff like that it really lent into the stereotypical things that you think of when you think 30s yeah definitely so. like yeah 1930s new york and, yeah uh, but it was styled to like old japanese style buildings and things like that yeah but it was i i personally just to get into more of what the first season was about so the the big bad evil guy i Come loved on. I loved him on so much. Yeah, I think the concept of the conflict, of it being anti-bender, now that everyone's together, you know, the people that have no bending feel as though they are missing out or they're not getting the same respect as those that are benders. They're, you know, bending is is popularized now with things like pro-bending and you know it's just normal and then there are people obviously that feel like that's unjust so it makes sense and it makes sense in a cultural sense like a mirroring real life of people feeling like they're not getting the same respect although in this case it is definitely a conspiracy kind of scenario where they feel like they're not respected because Literally no one that's a bender cares that you're not a bender. You have made this up in your head. Yeah. And it's fueled by people like Amon. So it's really it, it's very World War Two. Yeah, it's it's very very mimicking of real life in that fact. Like it's the part that I found I found really interesting about that whole Amon and the equalists, the equalist movement, yeah. is they were very radicalized and they were yeah. very gone too far. And they were wanting to wipe out benders and remove bending. So, so everyone could everyone be equal. Everyone could be equal. Yeah. Oh, I wonder how they got their name. <laughs> and, so creative. <laughs> and, like, you know, wanting respect. Yeah, of course, you know, everyone would want respect. But making sure everyone is equal and, you know, dragging those above down, that's a bit too extreme. But in the same way, there were some benders that were going... Anna, don't like you being silly. Of course, you're treated with respect. Of course, you're equal to us. Yeah. But as the, I suppose, majority or, you know, the ones with literally the power. Yeah. You're not in the place to say that someone else yes. isn't. So that is a real interesting, even current day, yeah. especially cultural conversation to have. Because you yeah. can't, you can't, if you've got power, you can't tell people below. Oh no, what you're feeling isn't real. Exactly. I was just thinking about it. The council members were made up of someone from every element, but there was never a non-bending representative. Well, so they, they literally never had their voices heard. 
I thought there was someone else and we always pointed to her and said, I wonder what she's for. But it was never explained. I think, yeah, it needed to be explicit. I yeah, feel like for... we, you, have, you have no idea. As far so, as you can tell by it, looking yeah. at it, it's one from every element to for them to be heard and yeah. then potentially someone else. So they've doubled up an element. Like, you don't really know. Yeah, you don't really know, I suppose. But yeah. it seems that way. And certainly the public felt that way. People were able to be completely manipulated by Amon, which is understandable. But the best part about that story is finding out who Amon is, finding out how it's linked back to Aang, and then where we go from there. Oh, gosh. There was a time. Yeah. So he ended up, we found out, relatively early on in finding out who Amon sort of is. Like, he's he was kept very secret, his actual identity. Yeah. For a very long time. However, we ended up finding out that he can take people's bending away. Yeah. Similar to what Aang did to Lord uh, Fire Lord Ozai. Yeah, so we're like... What the fuck kind of power does Amon have that he can do that? To be a non-bender and yeah. wanting all bending gone, he can take bending away? What? Yeah. It's a little bit terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And they were very scared of that because he definitely started going and, and targeting some uh, very powerful people. Yeah. And one person that he was trying to go for and I was terrified of, who we just haven't brought up yet, is absolute Queen Bay of smashing your face in, Miss Bay Fong. <gasps> yeah, I forgot about that. I was like, we've talked about Bolin because Bolin was one of the targets for one of it. But yeah, I completely yeah. forgot that Lin, uh, daughter of Toph, one of the daughters of Toph, at that point, the only daughter we'd met. Um, had her bending taken away. And one really cool thing that Toph brought down from learning herself is metal bending. So the police division in Republic City all have metal bending, which I think is just so cool that they made that like a normal power. Yeah. And they really explored the like additional elemental powers in this show, which I think is really neat too. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 it definitely... makes sense because everyone's intermingling and everyone's learning more about themselves. Like, of course, yeah, now that when, everyone's connected. When you're progressing yeah. as well, like with technology wise, mm. you're going to work out other things. Yeah. But, and, and especially with someone that is so connected to their element and being able to explore like Toph was, mm. and then being able to teach other people that's going to get other people thinking, what else can I do, and things like that. So it, it is very cool. I love that concept. Yeah. And especially because all the cops have, like, cords and, like, sh like steel wire. It looks like on their um, arm. Attack on Titan almost. Yes, it is a very big Attack on Titan vibe. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's so cool because they're, like, zipping around on buildings and just, oh, you know? Mm. So cool. Yeah. I guess we'll quickly wrap up that season so basically what happens in that season is Amon's identity is revealed he is actually a waterbender and that's why he can take away the powers a massive part of uh, the first season is bloodbending and it turns out that one of the council members is actually Amon's 
brother, they didn't know each other's identity at the, well, I guess Amon would have known his identity, but the council member didn't know. Ton, Tonrock? No, is that Cora's dad's name? Yeah. I can't think. They have very similar names. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they're brothers and they are both the sons of the, one of these really big bad evil guys back when Aang was still around. Yeah, he was like leader of all the crime and stuff in Republic City. Yeah, Yacone. Yacone, yes, that's right, because it was practically Capone. Yeah, I thought that was a very funny twist. It, I'm like, oh wait, you've made like a gangster, a very powerful gangster named Yacone? Tarlock, wow. that's his name. Tarlock. That, see, that's very similar. Yeah, But yeah, so they find out their identity. Fun, fun, fun. And he tries to take away Cora's bending. Now the, he does. The, yeah. The council member is always combative with Cora, so, which is really irritating. But he at no point is actually like on Amon's side or anything like that. It just so happens that he's a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but in this season is when we get to meet someone very special in this whole Amon business. The army are called. And the general oh, yes. of the army is General Iroh, named after our sweet Bebe Angel from Avatar Iroh, and they are the grandson of Zuko, I believe. Also voiced by <laughs> the same guy as Zuko. I know. Rufia. <laughs> yeah, okay, you get that reference now because we only just watched Hook. Yeah, that the was other the night. first time you watched Hook. Yeah. And while everyone who first saw Hook is like, oh my god. It's Rufio when they it's hear Zuko. It's Rufio when they hear Zuko. You're like, oh my god, Zuko. It's Zuko. <laughs> Very cute that they had that little name drop. He's also hot, so bonus. Um, but yeah, so he tries to help them a little bit. Can't really do too much because they're met with a lot of backlash with the council. And pretty much by the end of the season, once Korra kind of convinces Amon to go away... <laughs> Tarlok and Amon. Oh god. They go out onto a boat together and Tarlok kills him. Kill kills both of them. I'm very confused. I'm sorry. They're These so names close. are way why would you do that? There I are know. so many other letters. Because her alphabet. dad Cora's dad is a very prolific character in the show, so yeah. yeah, I really don't know why they made their And you would get him more confused because he is also very hot, so you'd be very Oh my god! <laughs> okay. So this is something that happens in the second season. We get to learn more about the past avatars and so we learn a lot even in avatar about the waterbenders and stuff but we see more about it in Korra. all waterbender dads or avatars are hot that's just a fact <laughs> and i don't know what to do with this information other than be flustered but there you go so and even soccer when he's older hot i don't know what to tell you this is just a fact and I literally don't know what to do with it. I didn't even talk about Asami! Yeah, we haven't got there yet. You, you, you're, um, you're just getting lost with all the male hotness, and you haven't even got to the female hotness yet. Yeah, I know. How dare um, I? I just want to, before we wrap up sort of what happened with Amon and one of the guys that start with T, is... Tarlock. Tarlock. <laughs> is when they're going away on the boat, yeah. I fucking cried. Yeah, it was really the, emotional. The way he did it, though, because they're going away and and Tarlok's like, yeah, brother, I'm totally going to help you. And he's like... We're going to get better. We're like, going to recover. We're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to, you know, we're going to get better lives. and we're going to come and, you know, we're going to redeem ourselves, aren't we? And Tarlok just goes, 
Yeah. Yeah, we are. And just looks to the boat, opens up the fuel cap, and just goes to drop in like it was a flare. And and it was an energy... It was the, the hand thing. Oh, yeah, the energy-shocking hand that the uh, people that don't Equalists have... Equalists used. Uh, yeah, so Equalists were used to, like, you know, stun benders. Yeah. And he just goes to shock that and... Amon never turned around to face and look at his brother, mm. but just starts crying as he's driving the boat. And I was sitting there going, he fuck, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to do that, but he was just like, it's it's okay, it's okay, I'm going to... And then he's just like, yeah, it's all right. And I just got like one flew over the cuckoo nest mm. vibes from it. And oh my God, I'm shivering right now. It's I just, definitely oh. thought that where Amon knew that he was going to die. But I also think because he was so in his own mind and thinking he kind of had that chance, like he was so in his mind about a perfect future for him that he just had no idea what was about to go on. So I think, I feel like there could be an argument there that he was crying because he was so happy that he was finally getting a chance to live his best life and then yeah it it's so like he had no idea because he never turned around yeah but maybe i like both theories either way it was just emotional as heck and it just messed me up yeah anyway tell us how hot asami is asami very hot um (laughs) she's kind of typical beautiful character but she is incredibly intelligent and mako is in love with her in the beginning this this whole show is extremely irritating with the way that it does romance. Like, because they're all older, I think the creators, who are not all the same as Avatar, by the way, I do want to say that, and I think that really had an effect on the show, they just play with the idea of everyone hooking up, and I kind of fucking hate it. <laughs> Bolin's in love with Korra. Korra doesn't reciprocate. Korra's in love with Mako. Mako meets Asami, falls in love with Asami. Asami likes Mako. Beautiful time, except Korra's fucking heartbroken. And then Korra kisses Mako, which breaks Asami's heart. And then Korra and Mako start dating. Asami's still just on the sideline, Bolin crying, I don't know where. And, like, that's how it goes for a really long time in the show. Asami is also the daughter of a prolific future industries head who's voiced by Daniel Day Kim? Uh, Daniel Day Kim. Yes, I believe, yeah. Hiroshi Sato, who is... One of the people who is supplying the equalists with their weapons. But yeah, Asami didn't know that. Asami, Asami didn't know. Girl. Asami good girl. Yeah. Anyway, now you're fully caught up. <laughs> Until like in season two, they go round two all over again. And then Marco breaks up with Korra, starts dating Asami. Korra forgets they broke up. Because she has a and then very he's impactful like, injury. Oh, hell yeah. Let's get back together. But I'm totally not breaking up with Asami or telling you I was with Asami. And then Asami's like, what the fuck? And then he breaks up with it, and then thankfully Asami doesn't go back. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much we hate Marco, and, but love Bolin because love Bolin, Bolin is just—he's—he's he's just perfect himbo energy. That's what he is. He's just so dumb. You cannot hate him. But in book two, which is called Spirits, the focus of this season is Cora getting a handle on her spiritual connection. So something that we take for granted in Avatar is. Aang's ability to talk to all of the past avatars and, uh, yeah, I guess go into the avatar state successfully. Cora, on the other hand, has a really hard time getting into the avatar state because she needs to do what Aang did and, and realize that she has no earthly connections and all that shit. Although, I don't actually think that's brought up again. Yeah, she... 
she instead they use spirit as another element in this show yeah. which i fucking hate it <laughs> I, I i almost feel the opposite like she got into the avatar state too easily yeah far too easily but she couldn't meditate and go into the spirit realm yes very easily because she's just like like what what like i'm too i'm too hot-headed and and not patient enough to do that yeah and yeah it's, it's a bit annoying like i felt i felt it on both ways like how it as you said isn't brought up with certain part like certain points aren't brought up again mm. and how sort of flicking on and off she can flick the avatar state on and off like mid fight yeah i feel like there's so much retconning in Korra, it really is hard to watch. Like, if you're a big fan of Avatar, obviously you can't hold on to Avatar's laws so much because with 70 years of progression, there would be changes. But there are some things that they very strongly establish in Avatar that just get completely thrown to the side. And it's like, why? Why did you even set it up if you were just going to change it all? <laughs> yeah. Like, you can love it if you separate them. Yes. Similar to, personally, I love... The Phantom Menace in Star Wars. No, I can't. I love it. However, it's because I disregard certain things and I just watch it for the movie that it is and like the silly movie, you know, yeah. like a bit of silly fun. But, you know, it, it, it definitely pulls a, you know, metachlorine <laughs> yeah. thing on you with, yeah. with Korra. Yeah. In terms of what happens after the whole Tarlok situation with the government, pretty much they get rid of the council. Well, I mean, it's still there, but it's kind of a bit more honorary. And they get a prime minister. So we have um, Prime Minister Raiko. Or I guess he's just Minister Raiko. Yeah, so he's a president of... Huh? He used to be... Pe uh, um, oh, he used Congre to be... <laughs> Congressman Pikachu. And then he became... Uh, president president Pikachu. President Raichu. <laughs> <laughs> he evolved. <laughs> he evolved just like Republic City did. Yeah. Um, so the focus is with spirits in this but it's definitely very southern water tribe so going from air now going back down to the water tribe and learning about what's going on politically because Cora's uncle Unalok who is the chief He's, of the northern yeah, water the, tribe yeah I think he was chief of northern yeah yeah he comes down to visit the southern because he claims that the southern and northern tribes are not linked and shows Korra pretty much that the spirits are very angry and here's a way to control them essentially. The whole season is manipulating Korra into learning about spiritual connection for his own gain. He wants to open up the spirit portals in the North and South Pole so that he and everyone else can just travel through the spirit world to each pole. That's his that's what he says. He's like, I just want to be able to walk between, have an easy, you know, time connecting each of the tribes because they are so physically far away from each other. Mm. But um, in the spirit realm, there's like 40 meters. Yeah. So that's what he wants to do. However, what he fails to tell Cora is that harmonic convergence. <gasps> oh my God, the oh name God, of the podcast like and the, the cocktail <laughs> is upon us. And it has been, what, 10,000 years since the last one. A fair while. Which is when... Rava, the spirit of light, and Vatu, the spirit of darkness and chaos, fight each other to determine who is the winner for the next 10,000 years, kind of. Like, who's going to be the leading spiritual guide for the rest of the spirits. Yeah. And so far, it has always been 
Rava that is one who turns out is the spirit that has fused with the first avatar which gives us the whole avatar situation which is passed down so Rava is in each avatar that's never brought up in avatar which is fine I mean there's you know backstory building is not a bad idea to do in stuff like this but it was an interesting way of doing it we got to see the first avatar one it's very funny. Yeah, the He's first number one's one. one. I, when you said that, you were, <laughs> I remember you were like, oh, it would suck to be the second Avatar because you've only got one to speak to. And I was like, ha, <laughs> only one. got one to speak to? And you just lost your shit. <laughs> I'd never even noticed that that I, was his name. I personally, though, loved the whole story that they added with that. Oh, about, I loved one story. Like about like how the humans first started and they used to live on the back of lion turtles which yeah. is the thing that told ang how to like zippity zap away Ozai, yeah and they used to live on the backs of them and it was those that when you were going to hunt in the spirit realms and leave your lion turtle the lion turtle would give you the power of an element so he'll be like yeah here's his flame like here's the power of fire for you to go hunt and protect yourself against the spirits yeah yeah and and it was that was really cool and and it was ended up being one who went to multiple because that you know everyone's disconnected they didn't know there were other lion turtle cities yeah and he went and ended up like getting every single element from a whole bunch of different lion turtles well because he mastered fire yeah he mastered it enough that he was able to travel far enough through the the forests and stuff to get to the next ones. Yeah. And he also befriended the spirits, the spirits. while he was there. So, yeah. you know, they were trying to push him away because they're like, hey, you come here and kill things. Yeah. You, you bitch. And then he's like, no, nah, I'm like, different. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Even though he's a little bit of a shit at this beginning. Yeah. And then, yeah, he meets Rava and Vatu who are fighting because they're about to meet Harmonic Convergence for the, well, for the first time for us. And he pretty much sets Vatu free from Rava's clutches. And, you know, Vatu starts bringing chaos to the land. And in an attempt to apologize for doing that to Rava, they combine powers and become one so that he can fight Vatu and trap him into the spiritual tree. I don't remember the name yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah, big spirity boy. Yeah. Um... And I think that was really cool. And the other thing I loved about that whole story of, of Wan and how the Avatar first came about is the art style during that storytelling. Oh, it was beautiful. It was sort of it like... It was old. It looked old. Yeah. And it sort of looked like it was an animated scroll. Yeah. And it was, it was really beautiful. so well. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. But, you know, we learnt all about that and why the avatar exists and everything like that so it was great to learn and i really liked that they added that yeah but mr unalock yeah <laughs> i was getting there i was, getting I was there. gonna say this too uh mr unalock he's like sup i want to actually like you know free vatu and i want to fuse with him I'm gonna, yeah and i'm gonna become a dark avatar the first dark avatar and Vatu's like, yeah, I'm, I'm king. Yeah. Because yeah. it beats being stuck in a tree forever. Yeah. That's something I really fucking hated. I hated that we got something like that, a dark avatar. Yeah. We didn't need that. What, what are we doing here, guys? What are we doing? The only good thing about that was in their fight at the end of the season, Korra turns into a giant spiritual woman and fights oh Unavatu and kills him. The only thing about that is, though, 
it is never explored in the show, and I wonder if it's explored in the books. Is there a future for the Dark Avatar? Because being killed doesn't stop That's an Avatar. That's a good idea. So I never thought of that. Is Does that mean that, let's say, in future Avatar stories, is there going to be a Dark Avatar that the Avatar has to fight against, and then it's essentially just a reimagining of Rava and Vatu fighting again? So I'm... I'm... I would assume no. I hope not, because it's stupid then. But then they never should have added it. (laughs) Yeah, because the thing is, the one way that you can end the Avatar cycle is killing the Avatar when they're in the Avatar state. Yeah. And he became super-duper Avatar state when she cleansed the spirit of Vatu, which Mm. also killed Unalok. Yeah. Um, Their ship name is Unavatu, as you mentioned before. And... So, so I would assume Shit, that's man. sort of like that's sort of like the end of that cycle, yeah. short-lived cycle. Yeah, I mean, we never really see Unalak out of the the spirit state, though. So that's why, I mean, for me, I don't know personally yeah. <laughs> that that there was that connection that that he was killed in the spirit. You know? Like in the Dark Avatar state. Yeah, so that's why I'm like, you know, that could be something they explore. I hope not, but it's something yeah. that we could explore. Well, maybe it's like left open and unknown just in case, you know, they, they ran out of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> now, Unalok, one one thing about Unalok is he has some very creepy twin children. Desna and Eska. Yes, who look very similar. And almost the same. In almost, fact, almost just, the same. If it wasn't the eyeliner. Yeah, Eska has like purple eyeliner. Yeah, and is uh, voiced by Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, that's as soon as I heard the voice, I was like, "Why do I know that voice?" Yeah, and yeah Aubrey Plaza, and what a babe. just and she's just being Aubrey Plaza. So. Yeah, she. It's it's kind of sad when actors are typecast, but then it makes it easy, I guess, for them because yeah, they just know what role to slot into. But yeah, she's just that monotone. That she always is pretty much in most of the stuff she acts in. It suits her. Yeah. Um, and suits it's the funny. character. Yeah, it, and it made sense definitely for the character, yeah. Uh, but it was very interesting because for some reason, Bolin was like, oh yeah, maybe I should date them. Yeah. And I then... think he just was meant to distract them and then it somehow I, I don't, Esker yeah. and Bolin end up in a near marriage situation in season two. Yeah, and then he's like, I don't want to. And then she's like, oh, well, if you were breaking up with me, I would have to murder you. And he's like, I don't want to get murdered. And she's like, great, we're getting married then, yeah. tomorrow. What? <laughs> yeah, it's very wild. It's it's very funny, but here we go, fam. Season two, we meet my favourite character... <laughs> He rocks up at the Southern Water Tribe because he also is made of a lot of money and is definitely played by someone who practically does the same voice in every character Everything. That he ever plays. The character is Varric, mm. who Inventor. is just, he's, he's sort of like a, he is sort of a competition-ish to Future Industries, which is the company yeah. that Asami, but Asami went to him to get his financial backing. Yeah. Because he has a butt-ton of money. I think, essentially, she was going there to merge businesses or for him... Because, you know, when her father's name was, you know, smashed into the ground after his dealings with the Equalists and Amon and stuff, 
she was like, well, what the fuck am I going to do to look after this business? And I think, yeah, she wanted to be bought out by Farrick, who's voiced by... John Michael Higgins. Incredible. And he is just insane. And the way he talks and he's just constantly just going a million miles an hour. And I just love it. Yeah. And he has an assistant called Julie, mm. who, as time progresses, you just love her more and more. Yeah, she's monotone as well, but very, like... She just does She does the thing, you know? Whatever Varric says, she, she does it. Anyway, Varric is amazing. Yeah. But he is stupid and annoying sometimes. He definitely presents as dumber than he is. He's, yeah. He's very impulsive and entitled, and he seems to sneak into situations and doesn't really care about who he hurts. He just has his own values as number one. So he's definitely evil in that sense. But he is still very loving and caring. And he, But, like, he serves himself, right? He doesn't serve other people. What he's dark triad would look like. Yeah. Well, he would certainly be very, <laughs> very narcissistic. Yes. <laughs> um, to the point where... You know, he ends up getting thrown in prison. Yeah. But when you go and visit him, and Julie, who is not thrown in prison, is in prison with him because he's there. So Julie, his assistant, of Has course, is there. going to be there. Yeah. Uh, but it is a massive cell that he's in with beautiful bedding. And they're like, how the hell did you get this? And he's like... I built it. Yeah, my, my company built this. And I knew that one day I would eventually be here. So I built myself a prison cell for whenever that... Like, yeah. yeah. He's always got a plan. He's always one step ahead. He's always one step ahead in ways that you think... Why have you prepared for this? Mm -hmm. But he has, and he's done it really well. So he's very smart, but very stupid. Yeah, very stupid. <laughs> yeah. And I was really worried at the end of season two that we would never see him again. But he is in for the rest of the show. So yes, I was gosh. extremely excited about that. Because the, the themes of Avatar and Korra are extremely deep and hard. And I feel like Korra is way, way darker than mm. Avatar ever was. Like, we'll get to this, but, like, especially the things that Korra deals with personally, like, they're extremely dark, and you really need those light characters like Bolin and like Varric to mix it up to make it not so depressing to watch, because it is really just so depressing. Yeah. But yeah. Do we have anything else to say about season two? I don't think so, no. It was kind of a eh season, like, Unalok was really cool, we learned a lot of things. Oh, the spirit portals were left open, there was debate whether Korra was going to close them, but she left them open so that the spirit world and the human world could be together once again. Yeah. And now spirits live in Republic City and in other places. And, yeah, Boomy gets Boomju as his sidekick, <laughs> um, which is a little spirit that looks like a flying bunny rabbit. And, yeah, so that's pretty much book two. Like, there's lots of stuff that happens, and we've missed so much stuff. But it's really, there's a lot of lore to go through. Yeah, so. we don't want to make this episode two days long. So uh, Yeah, yeah. So book three is Change, which Ooh. is really interesting. And the big bad evil guy in this, Zaheer, is an extremely interesting character, I feel. Yeah, very... They're antagonists, but they're not evil, in my opinion. Yeah, it's... it's They're not evil. They've just got a very twisted way of looking at what is good. Yeah. And you can sometimes 
see their point of view, which is the perfect evil guy. I yeah. When people he's he's written really how, well. Yeah, when you can see how someone went down their path, like and like empathize with them, and that's when you know you've written a good character. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But we got really thrown off. I'm I'm pretty sure it was like almost straight away in this season mm. uh, when it was Boomy was chasing after Boomju. Yep. The little spirit and fell off a cliff. Yep. And then was like, well, I'm going to die. Oh, no. I'm going to brace myself from hitting the ground and starts airbending. Yeah. So since the spirit portal's open, I'm glad I finished with that now. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> um, it made a bunch of people from around the world able to bend air. So tons and tons more people are all of a sudden finding the ability, which pretty much breaks Tenzin's heart. He was like, like in a good way. He's just like, oh my God, I am actually going to be able to rebuild the Air Nation. That's something that he never imagined. You know, his family are the only airbenders left after Aang. And now there's the possibility of them actually having a nation of their own. And he can now give his culture to other people and, and have them live like him. And he's just so excited about it. And it's so yeah. beautiful. You yeah. really you really feel for Tenzin in yeah. that moment. But I think it touches on it and it addresses the fact in a real like a serious way that people would actually do because it is people from all nations and all areas and all ages and backgrounds that all of a sudden can airbend just out of the blue. Yeah, people in the Earth Kingdom in Ba Sing Se and you know people in the, even the southern water tribe are bending and it's crazy so they go on a huge expedition at the beginning of the season to go and kind of pick up the people that they have had reports of being able to bend yeah which was very interesting yeah because the you know when when people were born into the air nomads back when they existed yeah it was you're an air nomad you are a vegetarian you you know don't believe in like you know you don't have worldly pleasures and stuff like that you know it's very like monk-esque yeah, yeah and these people didn't grow up like that so they don't have those beliefs <laughs> yeah they don't have those values at all which is actually so cool i really liked that they did it as a story yeah. because why would someone just be ready to change their whole life like that? If they had no reason to believe that way, they never grew up that way, why would they give up meat? Yeah. Why would they, you know, give up their worldly possessions and live with people that aren't their family, you know? Like, yeah. Tenzin has his family with him, but these new people can't bring their family with them. They're, they're learning from Tenzin and from Jinora. And it's done really well, and, and it sort of gets shown to Tenzin and how he has to come to terms, and he eventually does, but you see him struggling so much through it. To understand. To understand yeah. that, yeah, you've got, like, airbenders again, but it's not going to be like all of the Air Nation that you read about in all the scripture and stuff. Yeah. Because the times have changed, and people are different, and they didn't grow up like this. Like, he goes to the first person, and he's like, yeah, I really want to be able to harness this. This is going to be great. And he's like, yeah, excellent. Wave goodbye to your family forever. And he's like, wait, wait what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that we kind of brought up while we're watching Avatar, but also a lot while we're watching Korra, 
is we speculated what it would be like for a airbender to be evil. And we it was really funny how we kept mm. thinking about it and then the big bad guy of this season, Zaheer, acquires airbending. He is a prisoner who was part of a a really bad war attempt uh, 13 years ago. Him and his cronies, uh, one from every other nation have all been locked up in prisons that suit the opposite of their bending style a water bender is in a fire area their yeah, earth so bender is in water. <laughs> um i guess he's in the air i don't remember where the earth bender goes yeah i think they they were hanging them in the middle of nowhere yeah and then the fire combustion bender was in ice which i loved how they so mr i have an eye on my forehead and i can go and like act <laughs> constipated and explode things with my mind yeah. which by the way the effect of it exploding and the way it like breaks <laughs> the sound barrier the yeah. um, that's the sound effect yeah. uh, that wasn't me they actually address that and explain it because I loved I hated it hated that in Avatar yeah it's awful that it was in Avatar just this guy you needed to have backstory because otherwise he made no sense he he felt so out of place in Avatar and having it come back into Korra gave us the kind of knowledge that there was a group of people that bent that way like that's that's their bending and i guess it's a fire bending thing but we were never told about like where he came from or you know if there was more of him so seeing Pali, who is the one who has the combustion bending she's very clearly part of a tribe yeah so i liked that it gave much more lore where we needed it without saying too much yeah it i definitely got vibes that it was like uh like you know how the sun warriors yes yeah. I got vibes that it was like some kind of a closed very yeah very closed off like yeah. up in the hills there's these you know unique people that combustion <laughs> yeah. benders and stuff. I like that they gave it a name. That's what made it valid, you know? Like yeah. it wasn't just this thing. It was like another element essentially. But the cool thing about those people, you know, the airbender, the whatever Zaheer and his cronies is that it wasn't just Pali that had a like an alternate kind of element power. The Earthbender was a lava bender, which is not far from the imagination, right? That someone could, who could move Earth, could move lava. Yeah, and not only that, but he makes lava. Yeah. So I was trying to think of it because I'm like, wasn't well, that more like fire bending? Mm. But you know, if you move Earth. You would create enough friction that you would yeah. turn it to lava. Yeah. Like, you know, that that makes sense. And, of course, you would be able to, you know, do something like that. And, yeah, it was like they were all their element plus. You know? Yeah. It was like uh, yeah. the next, like, insane level. Like, the waterbender had no arms. Yeah. That was, was really cool. We she don't was see... creepy, though. She was really <laughs> creepy. She was probably the scariest out of oh, all yeah. of them. Uh, that's one thing that, I mean, Avatar had it. They had it with the kind of fake airbenders, the ones that were, you know, taking over one of the air temples. They don't have very many people with uh, disabilities in the show. And, I mean, that's maybe hard to sometimes do. I can kind of you know sympathize a little bit with creators but i really like it when they add people with physical disabilities and stuff like that because it makes people feel like they're valid people that have those disabilities like oh i can fucking bend like that's cool like i don't know it's just cool like 
you know, her disability didn't disable her. She was yeah. still as able as, as anyone. She made some real creepy water arms. Yeah. <laughs> she was fucking frightening. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, I really liked that they did that because I think besides her, there wasn't really another character that was like that. Only mentally did we see any other people. And I mean that in trauma and we see that in Korra. Yeah. I don't think anyone else had any kind of hindrance like that. No. Other than, I mean, Asami being a non-bender, but like not really, you know, that's the only one that we can Sorry, really see. being a basic bitch, ain't I? <laughs> <laughs> but another cool thing about the third season is we're set in Zalfu, which is an Earth city run by Sue, who is Lin's sister and Toph's daughter. She's like the, I guess, the honorary head of the city. I don't really yeah. know. I, I don't remember if they really gave her a proper title or not. But yeah, yeah. She, she pretty much looked after Zalfu. She helped build it. It's this beautiful city that has like lotus looking like metal spheres that close up at night so that they're protected at night, which is just really cool so cool i would love to live there it seems epic and her kids are all very technologically minded so it's a very like forward-thinking city and her advisor is an earthbender too and he has what toff had which was the ability to tell when someone was lying turns out he used that against them but like he was able to yeah tell when people were lying so that they could work out who committed certain crimes and things like that so it was a pretty peaceful city until zaheer and his buddies came down and caused a ruckus but they turns out are part of this thing called the red lotus which is kind of the opposite to the white lotus which was established in avatar yeah the white lotus kind of turned into like a protection for Korra or the avatar i suppose which was always what they were for but they became like an official thing for Korra, which is why the red lotus was formed and i can totally understand that yeah that made sense made so much sense that because there was a governing body now for Korra, it lost the like underground changing the world that way you know with no real goal other than to do what they thought was right which yeah. is what the red lotus does but it's corrupt yeah so well, corrupt in the way that their views are skewed or detrimental to majority of people yeah and we were, we end up working out that they bloody know that yeah oh yeah but they're very much like a you know we can fix the world by letting everyone go barbaric and kill each other. Yeah, so... And I'm like, that's not what are they fixing? Yeah, <laughs> Zaheer, with his new air powers, sucks the air out of the Earth Queen and kills her. And it's, it's terrifying. like, one of the first, like, proper deaths that we see in the show. I mean, Unalok's dead, whatever. I mean, you don't so, actually see it. So's Amon and, and Tarlok, uh, but, like... Yeah, the the Earth Queen, we see her air being taken out of her and she becomes this, like, raisin, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, you watch her suffocate. Yeah, which is really, really shocking. Um, And I guess if you're a fan of Avatar and watched it when it happened, you would be an adult by the time Korra came out. So it kind of makes sense if they were marketing it to the people who were the audience of Avatar for it to be a bit more dark like that. But it did come out on Nickelodeon, so it's still for kids, but... Hey, Nickelodeon had Drake and Josh, didn't it? So Yeah, well. And we all know those guys. <laughs> They're fucking... Pra, pra. Pra, pra. <laughs> but yeah, so they're absolutely amazing. Like, they're... the way that they are just so twisted. There is another death, sort of, that we see hmm. that 
bloody scarred us. Yeah. So what ended up happening was Zahir... Zafar, Zahir, wherever you are. Yeah, well, I'll tell you where he was. He... (laughs) So he... Oh, yeah! I was trying to work out what death you were talking about! Yeah. Uh, So he pretended to be someone who... Just a random person who managed to get airbending. Which technically he is, but he's also a criminal. (laughs) And he went to the Air Temple Island. Yeah. And said, hey, like, it's me. Like, I'm I'm here. Like, I want to learn about all of this. And I want to... You know, this is so crazy. Oh my god. It's so crazy, lol. Look at me airbend. Whoa. Whoa. And... You know, for the people that are there, are like, oh yeah, that's that's cool, fam. And being like Tenzin's wife and and Pema children, and yeah, and Milo, and also Tenzin's sister, who I've forgotten the name. Kaya, of. and Kaya. I think Lin is there as well. Potentially, yes, yeah, and Lin was there as well. Yeah, um, it was just a, the whole fam, bam. But so yeah. what happened was he went there, and he actually went there on like with the goal to look for Cora thinking yeah, Cora was going to be there. Yeah. Plot twist, she's not. Yeah, she's uh, in Zalfu like. And <laughs> he went, "All right, cool. I'll just poke around in tens and stuff and like stole some old scrolls and things like that." And one of the scrolls he took was from one of the old gurus. Yeah. And it was about sort of reaching the next level in airbending. Yeah. And Part of it was you need to have no worldly tie, no worldly possessions. Yeah, and stuff. so like airbenders already had no like earthly possessions. Like that, that's what they promote, like no physical things. Yeah. But like, yeah, this was like the next step, no even like emotional connections. Yeah. And unfortunately, Zahir loved the combustion bender. Lee. So he got to the next level. I wonder how, but he doesn't. He love combustion girl. Doesn't he girl? have police? What? Oh. What's going on? Anyway, so uh, it was Sue, wasn't it? Yeah. So they were fighting them and everything like that. It's like the final battle of the well, one of well, the final one, battles. one of the final battles. Yeah. yeah. And Sue's like, I'm gonna fight the shit out of you, and she's like, I'm gonna blow you up with my fucking mind. And Sue's like, Damn, you actually almost are. So. <laughs> So Sue metal bends her armor off of herself yep. and throws it at Pali while she's about to do the combustion thing. And you can see in Pali's eyes, they grow wide and she's like, oh, fuck. Because the, the armor curls up around her head and she does the combustion and blows up herself. Pretty she much. explodes her own face off. Yeah. Like, so the the whole eye thing, it's because every time she wants to combust something, she gets constipated. I don't know. It's a thing... <laughs> It's like a thing about that combustion thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, so her head gets wrapped and she becomes like an exploded baked potato. And Zahir sees that. And then he's like, well, shit, I'm literally going to become air now. And yeah. he can just fly. Bitch can fly. No other airbender has this ability. Only that guru really had that ability. So yeah, now he can fly and no one knows what to do. I love, the- I love when you don't know what to do with a villain. That's when it's really yeah. scary. Because Zahir really could not be stopped. And I th- I think he, out of all of the villains, is the scariest by far. Because you you understand him. Yeah. You understand and- him, and you don't know how to handle him. <laughs> yeah, and he, he was unpredictable, and he always, even when uh, Pali was there, he acted in a way that he had nothing to lose. Yeah. And someone with nothing to lose is terrifying. Yeah. 
and he was he was bloody terrifying yeah it was crazy and seeing yeah seeing that that death just tormented us because we were like oh like, my Whoa. god <laughs> yeah pretty much after that happens and he learns to fly he tries to do the whole take air away from Korra thing and Korra's like nah bitch um goes into the avatar state and is like hee hee bye and eventually she's captured because she loses like her energy that's one thing i really like about Korra is that they show when they use their powers too much that they are tired so they lose the ability to bend the element that they know so she gets really tired and they end up capturing her they tie her up and zaheer threatens to poison her if she doesn't like help him and she's like, well, I'm not going to fucking help you, my guy. Um, I don't know how many times I've tried to tell you this and make this very clear to you. I am not helping you. And so yeah, he no. starts to poison her with this metal substance. Yeah, it like seeps through her skin. Yeah, and because she's so strong, it doesn't kill her. It's meant to instantly kill her, but she's like fighting it off. And the whole time it's really traumatic watching mm. her being tortured. Yeah, because it was meant to, in as the Avatar does, when they're almost about to die... They get forced into the avatar state in yeah. like the last ditch attempt to protect them. Yeah. And Zaheer's like, sweet, you're going to get into the avatar state and then we're going to kill you. And yeah. then the avatar be no cycle avatar. will be over. Yeah. And she keeps fighting even going into the avatar state so they can't do anything. Yeah. Which is, yeah, but yeah, that whole thing when she was like doing that was terrifying. Yeah. And then the end of that season... Once they're found, Janora finds them because she goes into the avatar. Like she goes into the not avatar state. She goes into the spirit realm and she's able to. Janora is incredible. We've not Janora's even talked amazing. about her, but she is so much more connected to the spirits as a airbender than her dad even. And you know he's what nearly he's fifty, sixty years old, fifty I would say years old. And Janora can do it now, and she's like twelve. She's incredible. One of the best characters. Again, voiced by the person who plays Sabrina. Except for she falls for a little shit. Yeah. Oh, Kai. They're captured. Uh, Zaheer is then put in a prison where he pretty much just floats for the rest of his life. But he's chained up. I'm pretty sure the waterbender and the lavabender are just put away. I don't remember if they... I don't think they died. They no. were just put away. But we never the hear from them again. The combustion bender, though. She did. Fucking bodied. Yeah. But we do meet at the end of that season, Kuvira, who is like the head of the guard at Zalfu. Um, and the fact that she's named suggested that she was going to be a big character in the next season. And what do you know? She's the fucking big bad evil guy of season four. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hey, do you know what? Fun fact. Never saw this one coming. Guess who voices Kuvira? Zelda Williams. <laughs> wow, but you didn't see that one coming. Rufio. I, <laughs> I never knew it was Zelda Williams. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen her do a couple of videos in the past so i'm not familiar with her voice and yeah uh, i knew that it was her because i looked it up earlier on like i think in season one I, I you know recognized her voices and i was like who else is in this and she came up as one of the voices but i didn't know who kuvira was at the time mm. and i i took it took everything in me to not look up who <laughs> kuvira was i knew she was in season four but I didn't look up why. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't ruin it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all the Airbenders started getting really heckin' cool and helped, and there they became kind of a little army, which a is a little bit of a happy family. Which uh, I'm gonna be honest, I don't know if I loved, only because it is so against the teachings of the Air Nomads. However, it is the new Air Nomads. So yeah. 
I mean, they really can write their own story. It doesn't matter how they were or what their teaching was. It's going to be different for them because they're new and they're rewriting their story. So I guess it makes sense, but it still feels uncomfy. Yeah, they sort of became like the, we'll protect the world. Like, you know, if if someone needs us, we'll go and help those in need. It felt like Avengers, really. Especially their superhero suits. Yeah, they look like little uh, sugar gliders. (laughs) Kuvira pretty much, like cuts herself off of Zalfu, like she was taught by Sue. She learned all that she knew from Sue. She was an orphan and pretty much goes, well, cool. While Korra is recovering from being poisoned and stuff, Korra, by the way, is fucked at the end of season three. Yeah. Um, Sue tried to pull the poison out of her and we believe she did, but Korra's still uh, heckin' hecked. Yeah. Kuvira was like, well, while Korra is out of the way, We're going to reunite the Earth Kingdom, which seems like a good thing, right? Like, she's like, oh, cool. I'm going to, you know, make sure everyone knows that if you need us, we've we've got you, essentially. And it seems like a good thing at the time. There's a three-year time jump between season three and season four. So in that time, Bolin starts working for Kuvira as one of the people. Varric and Julie work for Kuvira as well. So, you know, seemingly there's nothing wrong with that. Marco is working for the police Still, I don't think we even mentioned that he did work for the police, but he is still working for the police. And Asami is thriving, working for Future Industries still. But Korra is back in the Southern Water Tribe trying to recover. She's with her dad and her mum, and she can't walk. She can't do anything, let alone bend, let alone get into the Avatar state. She can't even move. So Katara is like trying to heal her and is being extremely patient with her while Korra is being her bitchy stubborn self. I don't know how Katara even managed to want to do anything. If it were me, I'd be like, bah bitch, ages ago. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, Korra starts being able to regain the ability to walk and stuff like that. Korra kind of goes AWOL. Like, she was meant to go back to Republic City to go back to the air temple there and see Tenzin and, you know, start working on the next steps but she doesn't she she ends up going to like fighting rings and starts doing bending fights and stuff because she's tormented by her spirit self and so the fourth season is really about Korra kind of getting over her trauma which right now it's right now (laughs) it's very soft spot for me because I'm going I'm, you know, seeing a therapist right now about that kind of stuff and learning about that. And so seeing what Cora goes through, I was very emotional about it when I watched it. Because you love Cora, even though she's abrasive. You you love her because you're watching her story, right? But she's so very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but when you watch those parts, you're like, oh, like, fuck, kind of, that she's gone through so much stuff. She meets Toph in the Spirit Wilds. Yes, who ran away a few years ago and no one knew where she was. Yeah, so she she's went been and hung out in the forest, in the, swamp. in the swamps. Yeah, so she's been by that big tree that's in Avatar that connects the whole world. Oh my god. Which is so cool. It's in both Avatars, both Avatar The Last Airbender and James Cameron's Avatar. Yeah, yeah, really big. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Toph is kind of 
Toph. Toph, yeah. yeah. Toph is exactly the same character. <laughs> it's so good. I loved it. I love that she is still, like, just a, a bitter woman. And now it makes so much sense because she's an old woman. Yeah, so it's she's like a bitter old woman. <laughs> so, yeah, a bitter old woman. Um, but one thing we do learn from Toph is she says, of course you're struggling to do stuff when you've got that metal poison in you. And Cora's like, hold on, what? Sue got it out. And she's like, yeah, uh -uh. Sue ain't that smart. Like, yeah, you know, my kids aren't that good. I'm the fucking good one. <laughs> yeah. So she ends up teaching Cora how to get the poison out herself and yeah. then get back into the Avatar state. And, and it's it's really interesting. And she ends up even getting support from Zaheer yeah. as well. So she goes and confronts Zaheer because it was that trauma that was sort of keeping her... Yeah, the the fight that she had with Zaheer and the fact that she was poisoned at all. Yeah. So that was a really cool and interesting thing. They end up getting Toph to... She ends up helping try and fight Kuvira and... Yeah, with Sue and Lin. With so they're Sue all and Lin. So reunited. They're all, yeah, in, in like a really awkward way. Yeah, there's a lot of family drama there. Yeah, very much so. One of the things that we end up learning is... Sue's, I suppose, and discarded son. I don't know. I think he's it's like the eldest son. Yeah, he's he just doesn't like. It's like Sue doesn't. Well, he feels Sue doesn't care about him as much. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he goes and you know gets engaged to Kuvira. Yeah. Well, he's already working for Kuvira, so yeah. there's a connect. It's not wild that it happens. Out of the blue, he's just like, let's get no! engaged. <laughs> no. So they've been working, and then they end up getting, uh, they end up dating, and then getting engaged, and and Kuvira's like, hey, I've united everyone in the Earth Kingdom by literally threatening their lives, and that's how I'm doing it. And she gets called the Great Uniter. Yeah. And she's not really. Psych, she's actually uh, a baddie. It definitely feels, again, like a World War Two reference. It was... The, the amount of references to sort of the Third Reich and that kind of thing with Kuvira yeah. was unsettling so yeah to the point where the great weapons and stuff yeah they so make? they build a giant cannon which travels on parallel train tracks yeah exactly like the nazi army did they had the cannon that could shoot uh i think it was like 400 kilometers or something like that yeah that went side by side on like two parallel train tracks that they had to build so that was a little bit Okay. Yeah. And then they had re-education camps that they would send people to. Yeah, that's and... one thing that we kind of learned later. Like, um, once Bolin and Varric and stuff have been working there for quite a while, Bolin ends up going into the upper upper ring, I guess, and works with K yeah. Kavira and Batar. And she pretty much tells them what they actually do. But she's like, she still thinks, you know, she's right in doing it. So she does it in that, you know, I'm a better bitch than you kind of. But like... She's like, yeah, we teach them how to be better citizens of the Earth Kingdom, which means they take out the people that are firebenders, waterbenders, airbenders and stuff that are not pure earthbenders or, you know, Earth Kingdom. Don't have blue eyes and blonde hair. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and they, yeah, pretty much keep them in a camp and tell them, too bad, so sad, you now live here. Yeah, so it's pretty hecked, a lot of that. Yeah. And Bolin finally does learn. <laughs> yeah, he works out that they're fucking not good people. There's another little thing that we forgot to mention, I Opal? believe, about Bolin. Uh, yeah. At the end of season three is we find out he can lava bend. Oh, fuck! 
that's a massive part. Yeah, so Bolin's epic. He so the whole of season three, he's trying to metal bend because Cora and Bolin go to Sue to try and learn how to metal bend um, because they don't have Toph there, I suppose, to learn from. And Cora kind of gets it, and Bolin never gets it. And then like it's kind of sad almost that he never gets it but then he miraculously has the power of lava bending which is really cool and i think is way more useful honestly <laughs> yeah uh the the one thing because they always said during season three that well bolin was saying that a one in 100 earthbenders oh, yeah. can metal bend yeah and that's sort of the thing that everyone's got in their mind and when we eventually meet toff and toff meets uh bolin toff's like Literally anyone can learn to metal bend. So it's just, you know, because they didn't have her anymore, people just didn't realise that, you know, or they weren't training people the same, like, you know, the way that they needed to learn. So it was really interesting when they did that. But yeah, anyway, he... sounds like not everyone's able to lava bend, though. Like, that's a real talent. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she notices that there's something special about him, even though he's a dummy. Yeah, and she says that to him multiple times. In true tough fashion. Yeah. Kuvira's like, all right, cool. I've taken over your Lotus world. Zalfu. Uh, Zalfu. And she goes, I'm going to go take Republic City. Because technically that was... Part of the Earth Kingdom, Kingdom, yeah. Which she now calls the Earth Empire. Yeah. So, you know, as soon as someone's changing it to the Empire, you know they're evil. that's it no we don't want disney come chasing us um sort of the disconnect here happens to the point where they the big cannon that they made it was something that varric invented yeah which is harnessing spirit vines because they're a source of pure energy yeah and shooting a giant laser cannon practically Mm. and they made that on a big cannon on train tracks and he was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. This ain't cool because, you know, this is the kind of weapon that shouldn't exist. Yeah, they have a weapon malfunction and it wipes out the back of the train pretty much. And Varric's like, well, I don't want to work on this anymore. And Batar and Kuvira are like, no, you will be working on this. You will find a way to make this work. And Varric's like, no, bitch. And they're pretty much like, well, cool, we'll kill you then, because if you won't do it, someone here will. And eventually they come to an agreement where Varric is pretty much forced to work there, and Bolin, same, same. Yeah. But they end up escaping. And Julie goes, I'm going to keep working with you, and I'm not going with Varric, because Varric doesn't treat me right. He's a dummy, and I have always been stifling my own ability by working under him. And Kavira's like, fuck yeah, baby. <laughs> so they're working on that. Plot twist. Julie. Undercover. Undercover. She's there to sabotage the weapon again. Which, <gasps> it takes a really long time for that to be revealed, but I... I always knew. Yeah, I feel like you always knew that they had... Come on. There she, had to be something. She does the thing, you know? How could she yeah. not be fighting for Varric? But there, you know, Varric's like, how could Julie have betrayed me? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, the character change to her being like, no, I'm not going to be by your side anymore, Varric, was too sudden for it to be a genuine change. Yeah. So you knew she must have been up to something. And she's a freaking genius. Yeah. Uh, but So she was just trying to sabotage it the whole time. She ends up getting out to safety. Yeah. And she's actually rescued by Toph and by Bolin and the Beifong sisters. Yeah. But the weapon that... 
Batar had made. Turns out it's now a giant freaking mech. Yeah, mech suit. And and not a train anymore. (laughs) Yeah, we are in uh, Evangelion now. (laughs) (laughs) Bam! (laughs) That the gun going off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they were like, yeah, we're totally going to attack in two weeks. And Julie's like, I know they're going to attack in two weeks. So everyone starts... (laughs) Everyone oh, starts yeah. getting ready to for them to attack in two weeks, and they're like, "Psych, we know you're going to do that. Like, you knew that, so we're going to attack in one week." Yeah. And no one saw that coming. I know. I was like, "You're all dumb." They literally saw Julie going with the information, so of course she would say to the other people, "Hey, by the way, they're planning to do this thing." So of course it makes sense that Kavira would push those plans forward, or at least change the date. Because why would they keep that same date when they knew and then they could be prepared for it? Makes no sense. But yeah. Big giant mech comes marching with a big army and they're like, hey, look how big and cool my weapon is. Kuvira blowing the shit out of ships and stuff like that with this giant cannon. And in order to shut it down, because they were like, how are we going to do this? They kidnap Batar. <gasps> kidnap Kuvira's love. <gasps> That's genius, actually, because you know, you know, she'll she'll do anything for him. Sure, right? Uh, wrong. <laughs> what? What do you mean wrong? It's pretty much aims the uh, the big spirit gun right at everyone. Cora, Marco, whatever, but also Batar, and it's kind of like, peace out, bitch. And of course, of course, she doesn't care about you, Batar. You're such an idiot. Don't you know, evil masterminds are only think of themselves. Even like, Zahir! We'll go get married. <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna marry a lot of different pieces of you now. Yeah. Because you're splattering everywhere. No, but no, psych, they didn't die. Yeah. So he ends up helping them on, like, how to destroy it because he's like, well, look, I guess I don't have loyalty. I suppose to my her. fiance did try and kill me, and to her understanding, did kill me. Yeah. And they end up attacking and bringing down said giant mech with some really cool shit. Yeah. Um, it, there's so much to get through, so it's it, it's a, it's a cool scenes and stuff. So if you haven't watched it, or if you just just go watch it again. Yeah. Uh, because that whole fight was really cool. Yeah, it was very stressful, but very cool. Yeah. Uh, the coolest things, of course, that happen is Julie. Yeah. And Varric finally admit their love to each other oh, i was so excited about it i was like ah, 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 the whole time <laughs> because she went to say to him multiple times near the end like how much she loves him and he's just like and he's like oh thanks pal yeah no fucking but idea doesn't like on. it's just like zoo like over his head he's just so stupid yeah but then at the end he's like julie do you want to do the thing and do the thing is like they're thi- oh, they, they want to get married. Even when they get <laughs> married, it's like, do you guys want to do the thing? And- you may now do the thing. Ah! <laughs> it's so, so beautiful. It's so cute. Um, <laughs> but speaking of, like you were saying before, how this getting a lot darker than Avatar, the final sort of battle fight and like running away when Kuvira is running away from Korra yeah. is so dark yeah you're looking at it like there's going to be a murderer like in the forest kind of you know someone's like stalking them or something it's just oh it was so creepy it's really stressful 
Yeah. Um, but what ends up happening is Korra jumps in the way of the giant cannon to save Kuvira's life. Yeah, by doing the spirit energy. So she's kind of... That apparently was meant to be the scene that showed she mastered the spirit power. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so she's able to save Kuvira's life, which at the end of the show, you know, it sounds kind of like Kuvira's almost being redeemed by the rest of Zalfu, but no, I think she's gone away for a long, long time. Certainly Sue is very betrayed by her, yeah. so she fucking hates her. Sue is pissed. Yeah, she's like, she's you took like... my son away, you took my my city away from me. You She's know. like, yeah, you're going, you're going to pay for your crimes, and it's good that they don't just let her off and then like yeah, do like a mad. happy day's ride and whatever, you know. So yeah, like that's go to therapy, really cool. gal. Yeah, and in the way of jumping in the way of a giant spiritual laser beam to save Kavira, she ends up opening another spirit portal. Yeah, right. In which Republic was really City. cool. I actually really liked that. So, like. Republic City was meant to be a really big hotspot for the spirits. Like, they really liked it. They had spirit vines going all over the city. The spirits really liked, you know, hanging out in the council chambers and, you know, little cutie things like that. And and so it kind of makes sense that they have one there. It's like in a central spot. I like it. It means that the city now needs to be built around. And that's kind of where they leave the show is like, we need to you know, rebuild the city and make it bigger and make it accommodate to now having a spirit portal. Mm. But it's just really nice. I think it was a really cool element they added. Yeah. And overall, I think it ended really quite well. Yeah. Except for one thing that I'm going to let you talk about because I know it outrages you the most. Yeah. So now that Marco is out of the picture as a romance interest for Cora, finally, Asami and Cora end up getting really close. And... In the fourth season, it really shows that, you know, Korra and Asami have been talking to each other while Korra has been recovering over those last three years, and Asami's the only one that she felt like she could talk to and be honest with. And then when they meet up again, it's definitely the Korra and Asami show for a while, but it feels like best buds, kind of. Like, it feels definitely like there could be something there, but it's certainly not explicit in that there's a bit of a budding romance there, which is really irritating because Marco is very obviously a romance choice for Korra and for Asami, so it's very irritating watching that. But the final moments of the show, where I had heard there was a kiss, Asami and Korra go on a holiday after the big events to try and be like, you know, well, now what are we going to do? You know, we've got the world to rebuild, but for right now, what are we going to do? Sami's like, I've never been to the spirit world. Let's go. Now that we've got a way to get there easy. They hold hands while they go in together to the spirit world. And that's it. That's where it leaves. There's no nothing. Just it is queer baiting. Hold hands as they're walking in, face each other and smile. Pan up. Gone. Yeah, that's it. What I the was fuck? like, what? <laughs> I was so mad because the whole time I had heard that that's that you know Cora and Asami are together and, and I had heard you know kind of in the same way that Aang and Katara are together and that's why Cora looks like Katara you know that next avatar is probably gonna look like Asami so I was like cool I guess we're gonna see some definitive proof of that no <laughs> and there just debated absolutely debated but now that we're at the end of the show I guess I've got a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Oh, some cheeky little fun facts. I bloody learned a couple of things. Just like uh, last time with Avatar, I got a couple of things that I think will be fun to talk about. Okay. So, the cool thing about Korra is that it 
became a manga. So the cool thing about that is that there are so much more story that you don't get from the TV show. So included is Korra and Asami's romance. So you actually see them kissing ah. and you actually see their romance blooming. So I'm mad that it didn't happen in the show, but I think the reason for that is because Nickelodeon was like, uh-uh. They already were pretty angry about there being a female avatar. They were like, we're not going to get the numbers from having a female main character, which is funny because in the testing groups, there was no suggestion of that. So it just sounds like the people at Nickelodeon are a little bit sexist. Mm. What? That's just alleged. Um, <laughs> alleged of Cora. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so I've got some fun facts for things that happen post-show. So something that you find out about is what happens to Kuvira after the fight. Oh, yeah. For Cora, she and Team Avatar handle the aftermath of Kuvira in Republic City with the expansion of the Spirit Wilds and the creation of a third spirit portal. Many people were left homeless and forced to evacuate and reconstruction of the city drained the city of money, which is a really interesting kind of point. I would love to see what that means for Republic City. Like yeah. that, that now, because so many buildings were destroyed by that spirit weapon, right? Yeah. What that now means for all those people that lived near there. And yeah, like who the fuck has the money to pay for rebuilding the city? Certainly not the people that had their houses destroyed. So who's paying for that now? I never thought about it. Yeah, that's a really valid point because it was like a bustling metropolis and, yeah. you know, all the big business people were there and everything. So, yeah, yeah, really interesting. So Prince Wu, who we never even brought up in our thing, he is the successor to the Earth Queen that died from Sahir. Uh, he pretty much doesn't do that much in the show. So I guess we didn't really lose out by not talking about him. But he's a bit of a menace, uh, but only in the fact that he's a simpleton. So... His proposition for the Earth Kingdom is to turn it into a republic of sorts, where instead of having a monarchy, there is now elected leaders in each state and they decide what happens to each city and stuff like that, which is really cool because yeah. all the other places are doing that already. So it's kind of cool that they're coming up with the times. Um, and I like that Prince Wu's like, I don't care about ruling the entire Earth Kingdom. I am more interested in people being happy and looking after themselves in the way that suits them. So he Ku wanted a singing career as well. Yeah, he wanted a singing career. <laughs> so Kuvira's trial is postponed while they deal with everything that's going on. Apparently in the conclusion of the comic trilogy, Kuvira's helping with another issue that happens after Kuvira gives her a lighter sentence and she's forced into house arrest in Zalfu with her family. So I'm assuming that's the Beifongs because she doesn't have family. Yeah, I don't think Batar's going to go back to her. Yeah, and certainly Sue's not going to be happy with her. But so, yeah, it seems like she got kind of a lesser sentence after. Korra and Asami's first kiss. It says that the series finale of Legend of Korra, Asami and Korra walk hand in hand through Republic City's portal and take a long-needed vacation from their lives. While many viewers suspected that they were meant to inevitably become a couple, it wasn't until later that the show's creators confirmed the theory. So if you watched right when it was coming out, you wouldn't know for sure, which is very irritating. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they made her buy Cora. I'm so happy about it. I think it's just cute. Like at the time, 2014, 2016, you know, those things were becoming very normal, certainly with things like uh, Adventure Time. And Steven Universe, you know, mm. those themes are already coming out. So it kind of really made sense for Korra to at least explore that. And I like that they eventually did it. Hopefully, because they wanted to, 
But yeah, it says that the theory was met with mixed reception and obviously the confirmation. Some fans felt like the revelation came out of nowhere. During the couple's vacation, they were attacked by an angry spirit, which resulted in Korra and Asami nearly being killed. And after they confirmed their feelings for each other and shared their first kiss. So uh, it's a really long kind of story into them being together. Like, haven't they suffered enough? Why did they have to go through one more attack before (laughs) they showed their love? Like, that seems so dumb. But eventually they're together and it's confirmed. So (laughs) the coolest part about what I found out is in the comics, Kaya, who is one of Aang's children, the waterbender, she's actually bi too. And that's kind of found out when Korra reveals to Kaya her feelings for Asami. And Kaya's like, well, I too had feelings for women, kind of. She learns about how the world tried to criminalize homosexuality. And both Kaya and Korra's parents seem to kind of tell Korra to be a bit hesitant with admitting that she's with Asami because they don't want her to face a backlash and potential, like consequences for Mm. that relationship which i i mean if they're really trying to lean into the 20s and 30s vibe that they were going for understandable but it is in a modern setting like in terms of when it came out so it kind of is like come on that you're still playing with that plot line you know there is a downfall to president raiko thank god because raiko is pretty much the worst he's always combative with cora he's just selfish he is so selfish at the end of cora it's not said in the show but in the comics he loses his position after harmonic convergence which i guess is what happens in the show but like at least sometime after and Julie becomes a new president of Republic City. <laughs> hey. Uh, it's so cool. And yeah, I, I, more stuff happens with Wu becoming uh, the ruler of the kingdom until the Democratic Republic is formed in the Earth Kingdom, which is nice. really cool. I also found out some cool stuff about like... So one thing that we learned about Avatar was that all of the bending forms were based on different martial arts. Mm. And I remember saying when we were watching Korra that it looked like there wasn't really a basis for the moves that they were using in Korra because it didn't look like the same moves from before. Yeah. It is explained. Oh. So Korra's, like the, the time in Korra, the arena type fighting that was happening from pro bending and outside was actually based on old style boxing like the boxing matches that would happen in the 20s like the underground boxing oh yeah but also mixed martial arts so because everyone was blending there being you know earthbenders firebenders waterbenders all together it was almost like their martial arts were being mixed mixed (laughs) (laughs) so it it makes sense fuck yeah that makes sense yeah another cute fact that i think you're really gonna like is the reason that marco had that name is he was named after the voice of Iroh, the original voice before he passed away. So the original voice actor for Iroh was Makoto Iwamatsu. So they wanted to pay homage to him and named a character after him, which I think is so cool. That's really cute. I know. I was like, ah, that's so wholesome. So not only Marco, but also then General Iroh. Yeah, so they really felt his passing well yeah because the, he the was... fans did too yeah like I'm, I'm glad that he clearly like his importance was so known so yeah. that they not only named him in the show like the actor but iroh the character comes up a lot and then general iroh because yeah we meet actual iroh in the spirit world yeah because he sort of had enough of the 
material world. Yeah, he was like, bye, world. I'm going to live in the like, spirit world. I'm going to go chill there because they got good tea. Yeah. <laughs> Another cool thing that I think that uh, you'll really like is Tenzin's name comes from the Dalai Lama. So, and two two names from the Dalai Lama. Both Gyatso and Tenzin are the name of the Dalai Lama because the D- Dalai Lama is Tenzin Gyatso. So Gyatso, Monk Gyatso from the first season. Yeah. And then Tenzin is named after the Dalai Lama. So that means that both Aang and Korra were taught by the Dalai Lama. Like that's that's the, the connection that they tried to make there. Interesting. So Tenzin means the upholder of teachings in Tibetan. Which is so clear in the show. Like, he's really holding on to the air nomad teachings. Yeah. That's um, really cool. That. So I think that's really cute that they they made that really important in the show. It's not so obvious in the show, but I like it when you look more into it that that was their inspiration for it. Hmm. I really liked it overall. Like, yeah, you can't hold it to the same as Avatar. Yeah. But... It was still a great show. I, I still had a great time watching it. Yeah. I, I'm happy that we finally watched all of it. Like, I have I think I watched up to season two, like the end of season two. And honestly, at the end of season two, no wonder I stopped watching because after the Unalok shit, I was just done with all of the other extra stuff that they added. Dark Avatar. Okay. <laughs> but overall, I liked it, yeah. I am mad about some stuff i'm mad about there being queer baiting and then them not being like open enough to actually explore it in the show but had to explore it in the comic i don't know if that means that they always had that plan to do that or if they were doing it that way because of nickelodeon like i i don't know i haven't read more about that maybe someone can enlighten me i but i feel like it was just tacked on at the end and i kind of hate that but it's better than Dumbledore. I think my favorite part of the show outside of learning about like Tenzin, Kaya and Boomy and, and their life was seeing Korra's trauma and how she experienced trauma and how she moved through it. Yeah. I thought that stuff was really powerful and I like that they talked about it because Aang had trauma too but it was never really focused on. Like, it was kind of an afterthought. Like, yes, of course he's experiencing uh, trauma from losing his whole people. All of his people are gone, and he's sad about it, but he moves on from it so quickly. And in an entertainment point of view, it's good because it means that you can finally get to the cool stuff that they want to talk about. But from an actual character point of view, it is sad that you don't get to see a lot about his character in a way. So it's cool that they explored it with Korra, especially because the stuff that she goes through, even in those four seasons alone, is fucked. Yeah. There's, <laughs> um, there's a bit, you know, a you know, cheeky, bit of, cheeky bit of trauma. Like, you know, going through so much pain that she loses her memory and has to go and connect to her spiritual self again to recover her memory just to be able to move on. She loses being able to talk to the old avatars which, you know, is something that Aang never has to deal with. Yeah. And she has to make so many big decisions on her own. Like, she literally goes through so much stuff. So I really like how they handled it, and I liked how they showed her getting, like, removing the poison and stuff like that. Like, finally being able to do it and and help herself be able to move forward. And I like that she's not immediately good at everything. Like, she... She has flaws. She has real flaws and she has to overcome them. And it's 
it, nothing comes easy to her. I really like that because it makes her real. I was scared of that at the start because, you know, when they first see him, they're like, hey, yeah, we're, you know, the White Lotus and we're out here looking for the next Avatar. Who wants to be an Avatar? Yeah. And they end up going to, you know, where Korra is when she's a wee bab. And they're like, mm, are you sure your child's the Avatar? And this little yeah. bending, water-bending kid punches through a wall with earthbending and then is shooting fire everywhere going, yeah, I'm Avatar. And, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, you're the Avatar. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I like that. I like that having those powers did not mean that she was in a better position. Yeah, because I was yeah. scared that she was just going to be so, like, so naturally skilled at all that. Yeah. But no. Yeah. And so so it was a, it was a pleasant surprise when they did that. Yeah. Another thing I really liked about the show was Asami and her dad have a really strained relationship after his betrayal and he goes to jail and stuff and it's not until the last season that she goes to talk to him and she's finally ready to be like I never want to hear from you again because he's like been messaging her and stuff like that. But she goes there and she has a bit of a change of heart and she ends up making up with him like not saying that she wants to, you know, have the same relationship as she once did but she makes up with him and she pretty much makes up with him just before he dies so she's at least able to heal knowing that she didn't have something left to do mm. once he died it just felt really smart from a like a relationships point of view what they did with stuff like that like parent and child like i felt like there was a lot of parent and child relationships that they were talking about in this show yeah they did it definitely in avatar but not to the same degree at all like this was definitely especially having Cora's parents both be alive like that changed a lot about how parents were talked about yeah and like the way that sometimes her parents would act like her dad would sometimes not be the perfect dad yeah and would sometimes be tough and you would see her point of view from it and then it wouldn't be until later she realizes sort of what he was failing to to explain properly. And, yeah yeah, or even, like, the stuff with Tenzin, Kai, and Bumi, how Tenzin never knew that he was kind of, like, the favourite child and that Aang didn't treat them all fairly. And I like that we saw yeah. Aang not being a perfect parent. Like, you know, he was the saviour of worlds, but he, he was wasn't so the flawed. best dad. <laughs> yeah, I like, I really like that they did that from a narrative point of view. And that, like, yeah, Bumi and Kai pretty much had to pull Tenzin in and be like, listen... Our childhood wasn't as good as you remember. Like, you know, because you were close with dad and, like, you had those good moments with dad, but don't you remember we weren't there? Like, I liked it. I just thought yeah. that they handled all that stuff really well. So from that point of view, I did really like the show. But overall, it didn't leave me feeling the way that Avatar left me feeling. So, but Avatar is so close to my heart. It's probably a bit of an impossible meeting place for Korra to have yeah. been. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, I, I really liked it, and I I think definitely watch it if you haven't. If you've listened to this, well, then you're probably like, well, I know everything. Watch There's it so anyway. much we didn't say. Yeah, and we didn't even been... talk about Zuko. <laughs> and we, we've been talking for two hours too, too long yeah <laughs> we were like oh we'll make this one a lot shorter and you're I like it wasn't gonna happen a hundred percent don't worry lemon i'm nowhere near going to talk as much as we did for the other one because i don't have as much to talk about lies you lied straight to my face i did <laughs> anyway the drink was delicious yeah i finished that bitch ages ago yeah that was really uh really good um if you want to know more about it maybe it will we'll pop up 
what we chucked in again up on the socials and stuff like that. Yeah, so if you're not following us on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter, please feel free to do so. It is spirited dot conversation on instagram on twitter it is spirited underscore combo and on tiktok i believe it is just spirited conversation yeah we got it (laughs) so please feel free to do that i had a really good time talking about legend of korra i kind of love the way that these shows make me feel like i get so animated talking about them so clearly they mean a lot to me yeah but, yeah, I just really love Avatar. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. And they've and... made Avatar Studios, so there's going to be more Avatar content coming out in the future. So oh, hell yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. And, yeah, thank you all so much for hanging out and listening to yeah. us. Yeah. If, if you did listen and you made it all the way to the very end here, thanks. thanks. <laughs> We're getting really good at that. Aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.